Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Rolling. Take one. Is it going to be all right? Hello and welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. And on this episode, we'll be chatting it up with Kaylee Frisky. We'll explore collaborations through the somewhat recently rediscovered work by Claude Cahoon and Marcel Moore, two French surrealists in love. Uh-huh. Also, Tiffin's Fit with Film will drop a new hit. There's the answering machine, and we'll have a little bit of fun with inspirational quotes. I love inspiration. <laughs> but first... Mm-hmm. How the hell are you? Yeah, I'll be honest. I've had a pretty stressful and kind of shitty week. Oh, no. So far. Okay. Well, a week or so. The high point was this hiking and shooting trip I took in eastern Washington. And sure, I know I talk about eastern Washington (laughs) way too much. And really, I'm sorry, not sorry, mostly not sorry about all of that. I would love for him to just say Western Washington for once. I live in Western Washington. I'm never going to no, say No, but that. like the Western Western part. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's, no. I'm good. Fine. So on the trip, I took the Chamonix and this Ensign Full View 120 box camera that Colleen Matorin sent me. Do you remember him? <gasps> I miss him. I miss Where him are too. you? Colleen Matorin, come back. I know, really. <laughs> I just talked to him a little bit on Flickr of all places. Oh. Yeah, he is well. Good. So he used to leave us some really amazing voice messages, and uh, I do miss him a lot. So anyway, with those two cameras, I did about 12 or so miles, mostly road walking, so it wasn't like intense hiking. So I camped on this little ridge above an old homestead. I posted a few shots of the hike. Actually, I posted the entire roll in my stories, and I'll be doing another one probably by the time this gets released. And after the hike, I drove around northern Douglas County, the best county in Washington? I don't know. It was pretty aimless. I shot a few things here and there, including a few triptychs, which I I haven't developed them yet, so I can't be like, ooh, they were so amazing. But it was fun. Well, you you did say that you forgot your little um, cardboard thing, little frame, and you said that that was kind of hard, right? I... Yeah, I forgot it slash left it at home. It's made out of a Fruit Loops box, and so I'm always like a smidge embarrassed to be carrying it around. (laughs) I don't know why like, just, me carrying like a big piece of cardboard looking at stuff isn't embarrassing in and of itself. I mean, literally, it could have been like an Amazon Prime box or something. Been, I mean, yeah, but it was. It doesn't matter. Fruit Loops is cool. And Fruit Loops is delicious. I agree on all counts. Except they all taste the same. That they do not, not true. taste different. Not true. Uh, no, they're not okay, like you Sour know what? Patch Kids. Blind tested Fruit Loops. Next camping trip, it's happening. Okay. At least I'll get to eat Fruit Loops. Exactly. <laughs> so, how about you? Well, I also took a trip and I guess fairly normal. I went north, I guess. I don't know. Do I go north more? Do I go south? I don't know. Well, anyways, I brought Big Bertha, the Graflex Super D, and Big Bertha, the Big Red Board, <laughs> which I think I'm going to just start making like a book series about my red longboard. <laughs> so I looked up Big Bertha. Remember we had a comment about how Big Bertha was a Graflex camera? Yeah, and so yeah, yeah, I yeah. did some research, and Big Bertha was a Graflex camera. It shot 5 by 7 It was a Super D or one very much like that. And it had okay. a big, dumb lens on it that looked like a cannon barrel. 
And it was probably named after the German artillery piece called Big Bertha. It was a howitzer. Nice. Nice. But there are lots of things named Big Bertha. So having one more Graflex named that, I think it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll be all right. Also, I haven't seen one of those, but, you know, yeah, it, I, I would take one. It, it looked silly. <laughs> so um, I, I surfed. Yeah. Which was great. Uh, not too cold yet. I didn't wear like any like booties, shoes or like headgear or anything like that. So it was really, really nice. I had a couple just wonderful sunny days, which I just still think is completely ridiculous because uh, it was just never sunny when I lived there. Um, I did again attempt. I don't know if anybody saw my story, but I was trying to get my elk photo. I don't think I got it, to be honest. <laughs> How many times are you going to shoot the elk? Every single time. Until you get it or even after? Probably, probably till I ever, ever, always. Always. You're always shooting elk? Always and forever. If I see an elk, I'm going to try to shoot it. I mean, not like kill it and eat it. I'm talking about like take a picture of it. Of course. I just, I have this, this picture in my head (laughs) and I haven't seen it in real life yet. I have seen it before. When, you know, just driving Mm -hmm. when I lived up there, but I I haven't seen it since. And elk are pretty scary. It's not like some animal that you could just like walk up to. Uh, So it's going to be a long lens and it's going to be a lot of waiting and maybe even a blind. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Maybe I'll get really into it, you guys. You got to do the face paint. (laughs) Dude, I'm kind of into it. Yeah. I know you are. Yeah. I'm honestly like that sounds amazing. (laughs) I just put some moss on Big Bertha. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just perfect. It really is. But anyways, it's it's fun to have projects like this where it's probably never ending, honestly. Um, but it gets me outside. I get to be in nature. I did not put this in the show notes. But you guys, it's like mating season right now. And but for who? Oh, my God. The elk. Oh, okay. <laughs> I called you right away and I was like, oh my God, dude, this elk was like going and like, just like getting on top of all the females. It was crazy. Like four or five at a time. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. <laughs> good for him, I guess. <laughs> sorry, you guys. Okay. Well, I drove a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of time to think. I did a lot of thinking, which was kind of nice, I guess. And uh, I feel good. I'm, I'm home. I mean, LA's LA, but yeah, I don't know. I can't wait to, I honestly, I, I just miss traveling. I want to find a way I could travel more. If if possible, I just need to find some more money, I guess. <laughs> well, we'll see if we can find you any. Okay, thank you. Let me know if you find any. I'll let you know. Each episode, we slip on our house slippers and cozy up in our cozy cardigans and check our answering machine. We ask listeners to call in and leave us a message answering whatever weird-ass question we come up with. Vanya, what is the weird-ass question for this episode? Is there a non-photographic medium that influences your photography? Well, we got a lot of messages, so mm-hmm. push the button. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. We're sorry, your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again. This is a recording. Well, hello, Eric and Vanya. This is Ben from Ben Yacht DDS, and I am inspired a lot by non-photographic medias. I love painting. I love 
looking at paintings, whether it be in magazines or a museum. And the ways they inspire me as a photographer is they can paint with light. They can put it wherever they want. I mean, Rembrandt light is a real like defined way of light. And they started that with painting. Uh, I also find these two magazines that are put out today called High Fructose and Beautiful Bazaar. They have all kinds of art in there from painting to photography to sculpture. It's really great stuff, very inspiring. Thank you guys, have an awesome day. Hi Ben, it's been a minute since we've heard from him. I'm glad he called in. Yeah, it was neat how he started very haltingly and then when he got to talking a little bit about light, he, he lit up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, it is. It's like exciting when you, I don't know, just just seeing art. Even like if you, like we have a bunch of places that you can just walk and just see it. You could just be immersed in big paintings and it's such an experience. It's so wonderful. It is. Hey, Vanya and Eric. This is Anthony Rue. I'm Kino underscore Pravda over on Instagram. I think this is a fantastic question. For me, the strongest non-photographic influence would be minimalism. And whether it's Mark Rothko and Sola Witt in painting, or Terry Riley and Steve Reich over in music, uh, for me it's all about pattern and repetition and finding pattern and blowing things up until it's nothing but pattern and, and repetition. And that takes uh, precedence over objective content. You know, I'm more interested in geometric form and uh, uh, just the, the look and feel more than the, you know, what the meaning of the image is. Thanks. It's such a different way to think about photography than I think either of us really do. You're more action shots, surfing, mm -hmm. things like that. And I'm, I guess, more landscape. There's not really patterns, I guess, that pop out Mm -hmm. I, know, I guess I always think of patterns as as man-made. And so I guess that's mm -hmm. not necessarily true. No, it's not. I mean, you can see a pattern in the sky that, that matches, you know, the pattern of a landscape. Yeah, absolutely. But the clouds can definitely do that. You know, a lot of the clouds mm -hmm. are repeating. I don't like shooting those clouds because I think it looks, I think nature's being a little silly at that point. I think honestly, like, these are the types of things that when you have nothing to or you feel maybe like you don't want to photograph, but you want to, but you don't know what to shoot. Some of these words are something that you should just like have in your notebook. Like maybe I should look for patterns today and just shoot patterns and see what I can find. Because I think when you're looking for it, you find it. If you're not looking for it, you're not finding oh, it. Oh, I, I, would, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Vanya and Eric. My name's Laura, and for the past month and a half, I've been binge-listening to the entire podcast from beginning until present. What was I doing that entire time? Mostly a lot of dishes. Anyway, now that I'm caught up to the present, I can answer the question. I guess, for me, the answer is poetry. I've really enjoyed poetry for a long time, and I guess, to me, the difference between the image in a photograph and imagery and poetry is very slight. In both cases, you're taking a vision that you have of the world and translating it or interpreting it in a specific way to uh, capture that idea. I think, okay, so 
Hi, Laura. Hi, Laura. <laughs> I cannot believe you did that. Yes. That's insane. A, a lot of dishes. Um, <laughs> it is a lot of dishes, but I get it, dude. I have so many dishes. Right, but was she ridiculous. like, if you're just doing dishes and not using them or eating from them, I mean, it's... It's just, just dishes then. Yeah, but also, you know what I do? This is like psychotic, but at least once or twice a year, I wash all my dishes. What do you mean? Like everything that's in the cabinets come out uh-huh. and they get rewashed. Oh no, that's that's <laughs> madness. I'm sorry. I know. Well, because I have like dishes that I don't use like only like once or twice a year because sure. they're like nicer, I guess. I don't fucking know. This is like so stupid. But anyways, let's talk about poetry <laughs> and, and books. Oh, let's. Uh, absolutely. I agree. Um, I could read a book. Well, it's hard for me to read because <laughs> I'm dyslexic, but I could read a book and imagine it in a specific way and someone else could read it and their imagination is completely different than mine. Sure. I think that's like such a fun part of books and reading. And then also too, like looking at pictures and and kind of what do you see when you see something? Like sometimes you're looking at a photo and you see something completely different that I don't. And that is why we kind of like to talk about pictures, right? I think it is. I think that's a lot of it. (laughs) Cause like, you'll send me a picture of yours. I'll be like, oh my God, I love this part. And you're like, oh shit, I didn't really, oh, okay. Yeah, you'll you'll definitely notice things in mind that I would never notice. Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting poetry. Um, I can understand how you could get something from books, you know, some sort of narrative or descriptive something or other, but Mm. poetry really surprised me. And and Laura is not going to be, and Laura is not going to be the only person to bring that up. I'm... I used to be a poet. I have some of your poetry. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a thing I used to do. I used to publish and and you know, self publish. I could do the zines. Mm-hmm. I've used photography to illustrate the poetry, but never really the other way around as far as the influences went. And it never really occurred to me to do that. And I don't I don't know if it's it does. Yeah, I don't know if it's. I don't know. You're looking at me like I'm lying. Did I? You are. You're a liar. What about the handwritten one that you did? That was very much poetic. <sighs> but that the writing came after. The writing was inspired by the photos. Was it? Yes. Okay. Yes. I've never knowingly been inspired by poetry, which is a really kind of a bummer. Yeah. Considering, <laughs> considering it's all I used to do, I guess it's just I, I closed one chapter and opened another or yeah. something along those lines. You like close lines. the poetry door and open the photography door. That is pretty much true. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would really be cool to see kind of what you could do with both of them together. I mean, you are a good writer. I so. wouldn't know how to do it. Well, you could try. Hi, Ralph Brandy. There is no cat on all the socials. The thing that outside photography that's had the biggest influence on my photography would be punk rock. I was into punk uh, from the late 70s, you know, bands like The Clash and The Ramones and stuff like that. And wh- what I got out of it was a uh, sense of trusting yourself and doing doing things yourself. Uh, probably the most punk band I knew of was The Minutemen, and they really distilled that as, as you know, just, just follow your own instincts. And I think that that attitude has been a huge influence on my life. And from there on my photography, I'm more comfortable with things like alt process and, and toy cameras and, and just just really following me my intentions wherever they take me. So definitely punk rock. Okay, I know you're probably going to have a bunch of stuff <laughs> to say <laughs> oh, about this. Maybe a little bit? <laughs> maybe just a tiny bit. Yeah, I'm in a man from San Pedro, so oh, yeah. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. You go first. Well, did we know that Ralph Brandy 
Wasn't the punk rock? Was a badass punk rocker? Nope. Okay. Absolutely I not. Kinda, I, but you know what? There is no cat. It just like, I don't know. Like it, it's there now. I get it. It makes sense. It all makes sense. It all makes sense. Yeah. Very I mean, out of, out of everybody, I think I relate to this the most, but I think for different reasons, maybe. Hmm. Uh, I was, I'm a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. In the in the late seventies, I was four, okay. so I was I was considerably. I'm I'm much much younger than Ralph Brandy. I mean, I can't express to you how much younger <laughs> I am. Don't so I entered the dick. punk scene. I know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me today. I entered the punk scene when it was kind of in the in the early nineties when it sort of was doing the very DIY thing on a local level, and so mm. my kind of my capitalistic philosophy came from that where everything needs to be accessible and cheap for everybody. Whereas mm-hmm. as if you're not making a huge profit or any profit on something, that's fine. That's not the point of what you're doing. And I realize things have changed a lot now where artists, rightfully so, should be paid what they're worth. But there's still that bit in me where I feel that my work, and this is just a personal thing because it is DIY, do it yourself, my work should be as accessible as possible to as many income brackets as possible. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is one of the reasons why I do a sliding scale, where if you feel like throwing more money at me, I will certainly take it. But if you can't, <laughs> I, I do what I can to make it accessible. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where that comes from with me. I was never into the Minutemen. I was into Firehose. What the fuck? <laughs> so, I mean... I'm putting Minutemen on the next... G- yeah, do it. I'll put some Firehose. <laughs> But with the with the trusting yourself, we kind of did that. It was always DIY. And, you know, if you can't DIY, DIT. And if you can't do it yourself, do it together. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Was much more of a it was much it was much less of an individualistic thing. And I'm sure it was for Ralph as well. But we ended up trusting ourselves, mm-hmm. and I think that fit better with me because I was never like a like striking it out on my own. I always liked that sense of community mm-hmm. and really building on that sense of community. We talked about doing an, a bonus episode about how punk rock has influenced us, like a Patreon yes. episode. And I think- we, I want to do that. Yeah, we, I think we'll be doing that some point next month, yeah. a month after. I think it's something we're gonna be talking about. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, something to look forward to. Hello guys. Dumpster underscore flower here. So I have an odd job in that I do, I make bells for a living. And there's some similarities where you work on something and you have to let it develop in a way. You have to let it cool and you get to see your results later. And if you know what you're doing, um, you'll think you know how it will come out. But in other ways, it's very different in that uh, I feel like I'm actually making something with my hands when I'm metalworking, as opposed to um, I'm taking what the environment is giving me when I'm taking a photo. So that it, it was, it's a good question. It made me think of the similarities and also the differences. I mean, I've m- mentioned this before, like why I don't shoot digital anymore, really, because I wanted to spend less time on on the computer. I wanted to be outside. I want to be doing things and I would be using my hands. So I guess like in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, if I'm using a manual camera, I'm using my hands. I'm I'm working. I'm working outdoors. But also the connection he's made between, I guess, making the bells, which is first, how do you get that job? How does that happen? 
I, I don't know, but I want to go to that that school. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm a <laughs> fucking a bell maker now. Okay. Wow. That's badass. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't like, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I make bells. And just like, that just stops the conversation. Like what? Yeah. Okay. Now we have to talk about this. I mean, it seems kind of hard, honestly. I, I, I don't Just getting know. the right sound. Because, like, is it, like, specific sounds that you have to get and, like, the size and the sound and, like, well, the frequencies and, like, oh, my God, I'm so stressed now. Well, I think it's what he's saying is that, that developing photos is, is very similar to it. You know, you mm-hmm. if you do everything right, you, you basically know what you're going to get. But yeah. there's always that room for, like, unpleasant surprise. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's pleasant. Sometimes, sometimes pleasant. I used to be really obsessed with only other photographers, and I was worried about that. But I realized it's because I actually like this medium and want to know all of its possibilities. However, I've come to the point where I've seen enough that perhaps I'm worried about parroting and not being able to reach beyond what has already been done. Music has always inspired me on various levels, though I still want for visual inspiration. Cinema is an easy one, but one has to reach beyond its photographic elements to truly gain something from it. Like painting, there's an uh, intent to everything from color palette to choice of lighting and composition. I'm still not sure if I have a go-to for inspiration right now, but that's where I'm at. This is Jamie Maldonado. That's Jamie M. Photo just about everywhere, except for YouTube where I'm just Jamie Maldonado. Thanks. Hi, Jamie. It's been a minute. Hardest working man in, in he photography. Is. <laughs> so I like that that awareness. Yeah. That all I've been looking at are other photographers, mm-hmm. and you know, being afraid to uh, be maybe too influenced by that. That's really good awareness. Absolutely, and fi- being able to just like discover, like I can be influenced in other ways, like listening to music. I, I definitely feel that. Um, watching movies or like, you know, certain emotions, I guess, that I maybe like tap into if I'm watching a specific movie. Yeah. And it's, what's neat, nobody mentioned movies. <laughs> I think we did yeah. request that they not, but. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's why. But yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely painting, what, music, metal working, which is that's crazy. You just threw up, you just threw some horns. <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> and poetry. Hi, Vanya and Eric. Nagelgazer here. Why poetry, of course. For the last 20, 30 years, I've been trying to define what a green thought and a green shade was. Walking under the canopy of the forest with Andrew Marvel. Haven't been doing a very good job of it, mostly because it's in monochrome. Finally figured out what the annihilating part is when I started processing C41, because everything's green now. Um, William Carlos Williams Project is something I started working on. It's mostly about uh, wheelbarrows. Uh, It's kind of fun. And who has not thought of Edna St. Vincent Millay's first fig when they're burning the candle at both ends at three in the morning in the dark room with exhausted developer trays and no paper left and said, but ah, my foes and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. (laughs) I'm going to say this again. He sounds like Ray Bradbury and I absolutely Love it. <laughs> Cannot express to you how much I love that. Uh, so a poetry again. I love it. With, I love that so much. With specific examples, William Carlos Williams, I, I discovered him like everybody does in senior year of high school. But just yesterday, I saw somebody in a in a old pickup truck, but instead of having like a, a hood ornament, they had 
a red wheelbarrow, a tiny red wheelbarrow on top of their their hood for some reason. And I immediately <laughs> thought of William Carlos Williams. I, I And I wanted to photograph it too. So there's my connection to poetry. <laughs> See? It's, it's there. It's there. I just it's have to there. dig for it maybe. I have to put it in the wheelbarrow. I have one wheelbarrow story. Uh, okay. When, yes, sorry. You know me and my stories. I lived in Castaque in like Valencia area. And it was like basically a brand new, like they just built these houses. It was like the first ones built, uh, like in the, you know, the new era of the 90s. Mm-hmm. And if you guys know, <laughs> Valencia in that area is like really, really hot. It would get up like 105, just scorchers. And the first year we were there, we didn't like really have any way to cool off. So my neighbor filled up two wheelbarrows, one for me and one for her, um, his daughter. And those were our little pools. <laughs> and I think about when I think about wheelbarrows, that's the first thing I think of is like how fun it was that he like filled these up and we just like had our little personal little pools. <laughs> I mean, now that I think about it, it's pr- I mean, tell me. <laughs> Tell me your white trash without telling me your white trash. Well, I <laughs> we made pools out of wheelbarrows. That's what. <laughs> yeah, M- my experience with wheelbarrows is tipping them over constantly. I cannot use okay. them. I don't understand them, and also I don't understand why they were invented. Was there oh, like the balance? Yeah, of them? like was there a, a run on wheels? Like just add a fucking second wheel. <laughs> Problem solved. It's easier to pivot with one wheel. Duh. Stop pivoting! <laughs> uh, I don't know. It. It. Yeah. That. They. They. I don't like wheelbarrows. I will never own a wheelbarrow. That's so weird. It's not okay. weird. It just makes sense. Okay. So, for work purposes, I always have to like do these voice things. So I'm sorry if you'd rather have me type this out, but whatever. Um. Jesus fucking Christ! You also might hear me like. Okay. <clears throat> Traffic in Dallas sucks, but that's not why I'm doing this. Um, Vanya had made some comment about wanting to be able to shoot with everybody that called in. And I know that this is kind of in that vein, but not specifically. And it's possible you guys have already considered this, or maybe you have decided absolutely not for you, but someday it might be cool if y'all decided to do some kind of all through a lens photo walk somewhere, even if it was all through a lens photo walk on the road, like when you guys do your, um, you know, travel thing. Well, that's not the worst idea in the world. I love it. Also, Brandy is picking the wrong city to move to. She has the perfect complaints about traffic to live in Los Angeles. We need we need more people <laughs> like her here. Also, in regards to the question, I'm on Vanya's side only in that I have always been taught that there is literally an art to every single thing that we do. There is an art to it, even if it's not anything that you yourself view as art, somebody else in the world most likely does. Okay. <laughs> well. Yes. Uh, um, yes. Was this something we were arguing? I guess so. I just 
you she's on my side, so I don't really care. <laughs> but I don't I don't remember arguing about this at all. Well, if it's about what she said, then yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. It's it's like people used to like even trades. You know, you're a plumber or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you would you would work under someone and they would teach you all they know. And it was like an art because you, it wasn't from a book. It was from experience. Same as, um, tattooing and surfboard shaping and, and so many different types, like making teapots. Like, have you ever seen those like videos, those like little Japanese ladies that like make those like amazing teapots? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like an art. It's just fantastic. It's so beautiful. And I completely respect that. And sure. I honestly feel like sometimes like, and maybe this is why I like old houses more too, because, you know, you got the crown molding, you got all these like little extra pieces, like people put extra things and care into into it. And now, you know, you buy a house, everything's like fucking gray and blank and bleh, right. the same. It's boring. I agree. It's not creative anymore. And I wish that we could. I wish that it would come back, that we cared about those little things sure. more than we do now. So counterpoint, if everything's accented, nothing is accented. So if everything is art, nothing is art. Art has to stand out. Art has to be different from things. It has. There has to be a definition for it. Otherwise, it means nothing. I respect people's craft and art and things that they do. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're amazing. And it is art. Even if it's like a punk band that sounds like another punk band. It doesn't matter to me. Okay. They're doing something awesome. Right. All I'm saying is if everything's art, nothing is. Bullshit. It's so, like, art school-y of you. And honestly, I kind of want to vomit. <laughs> well... That brings us to the end of The Answering Machine. Okay, so thank you so much, everybody, for calling in. And just to kind of give you a little hint on the next question. Well, it's not really a hint. This is the next question. It's (laughs) which photography trends do you find yourself not doing anymore? Ooh. You don't need to talk shit on them. They're fine. No, 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 no. Of course not. Maybe something you love to do that you don't do anymore. Yeah. We also have a complaint that, <gasps> that we have to address. We had a very serious, very serious complaint. We don't usually address our complaints. We don't. We usually let them just stay in the spam folder. But <laughs> this one is important. Okay. Someone brought <laughs> it to me. my attention that the replacements song for the <laughs> answering machine has not made an appearance in a few episodes. And it's true. I, I semi-retired it thinking... Maybe something no else. No one's going to care. No one's going to care. Someone from the East Coast weeped a little. <laughs> somebody, well, maybe somebody from Minneapolis was a, okay. l- a little sad. Okay. And you know what? If you're sad over the absence of the replacements, you'll be sadder with the addition. So here it is. <laughs> And now for something completely Tiffin. Hey, homies. I would like to take the opportunity to respond to the answering machine question. Lately, poetry has been a major influence, not in the manner in which I make or take images, but rather in the way I present my photography. And when I say poetry, I'm referring to haikus. 
let me explain. So for those of you who are in the know and follow me on the Instagrams, I'm sure you've come across the little panoramic series I have going on. It exists only in my stories. For a hot minute, I migrated a few images to my actual feed just to gauge my level of comfort with how I would like the series to be presented potentially. But I just didn't like the permanence of it all when it came to displaying it in that form. More on that later. Maybe. But just how a haiku has three verses, I group three of my images that are in panoramic format and make a set. This all really came about from me being lent two poetry books a while back. One was Charles Bukowski's uh, Love is a Dog from Hell, which, holy crap, intense, right? And the other was a pocket edition haiku anthology. Initially, I wasn't a fan of the short form until I realized that if you were to separate each verse from any given haiku, they wouldn't necessarily be able to stand on their own just because they are composed with that intent in mind. So upon realizing this and taking a hard, sobering look at my massive throwaway pile, I attempted to make sense of images that would have otherwise gone unseen, just because they weren't interesting enough or framing was off or what have you. And in the process of making sense of three senseless images, and just how a haiku is able to deliver a message with only 17 syllables, I found I was able to tell a story with each set. I also grew to appreciate short form poetry a lot more and have picked up a book of my own. I'ma be real though, some haikus aren't as poignant as others, but that doesn't mean they aren't quote unquote good. And that has made me realize that not every picture I walk away with has to be good, which has definitely taken a lot of creative pressure off and has resulted in me beating myself up a bit less when I notice one of my images isn't compositionally sound or whatever. I definitely wish I had this mindset during my Wes Anderson phase in which I was obsessed, and I mean obsessed with symmetry and making my images look perfect, but I see that your thumb is hovering over that skip 15 seconds icon, so I'ma go ahead and save that story for another day. You are all the best. Film has brought us together. Enjoy the podcast. That was my haiku. Did you like it? Okay, okay, bye. Ever hear the saying when someone stares at you? Why don't you take a picture? It lasts longer. <laughs> or a picture is worth a thousand words. <laughs> uh, okay. So here's the thing, you guys. We decided to do something a little fun. Yeah. We thought about this a while ago, kind of a, we called it a book club or something. Totally not the right use of the words, where we would take a passage from a book, read it and make some comments on it. Yes. So instead, what we have done is we've taken some inspirational Photography quotes? Yes, from the mommies and daddies of photography. They, they are indeed the mommies and daddies and uh, cousins and brothers. They're, some of them are quite are quite our age. What are we going to do? We're going to just read a couple and discuss? Yeah. And this is, <laughs> or discuss. This, this is not us taking the piss out of them. We, we tried our very best to leave the Wednesday word salad behind. Oh my gosh. I was going to say like every time he says word salad, take a drink. <laughs> there may be some. Let's just see. We each picked a few of these. So the first okay. one is by Ansel Adams. I mean, we got to start with the daddy, right? Papa Ansel. <laughs> yeah. So he says, when words become unclear, I shall focus with photographs. When images become inadequate, I shall be content with silence. My first instinct with Ansel is to just dog on the guy for how shitty of a writer he is. Oh my god! He's an amazing photographer. He's really generally pretty good at explaining photography stuff. 
Mm. But when he starts digging into the inspirational quotes, it's a bit. Uh, it's hard it's hard to follow him like his books they are very inspirational and he does say some very inspirational things but it is hard to kind of like pay attention and keep going with it you know what i mean like yeah. i think he's long-winded maybe he's long-winded in a victorian way without the victorian flowery language to make it pretty <laughs> yeah yeah but it's i mean if you guys don't have his series of books i i, I definitely recommend they're you're kind of like yeah. You you sort of need to have them at least on your shelf, so when other photographers come visit you, they'll be like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, okay, you're serious." <laughs> Why don't you take the next one by Diane Arbus? Taking pictures is like tiptoeing into the kitchen late at night and stealing Oreo cookies. Is that how you do it with Oreos? Do you sneak into the kitchen to eat, or do you just fucking eat Oreos? I think sneaking is more fun. Do you think that people, the way people eat Oreos, is there's like a correlation between that and how they shoot? photographs maybe okay so here's the thing mm-hmm. i don't like to make a big show i don't want to be like all right everybody i'm here the photographer the photographer has come here i am and then like make this scene like i kind of like want to sneak in get a couple pictures and go about my day so that's how you do it with oreos you, you, you sort of sneak them yeah okay. yeah sneak a couple uh-huh. maybe put one in my pocket for later Ooh, nice <laughs> nice twist it Lick all the white stuff, close it back, put it back in the package like everybody else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think with Oreos, I just eat them on the regular. Yeah. They're just like a staple food for me. Mm. And I think that's how I, I shoot as well. I don't always do it. I don't always have Oreos. And I don't always shoot. But when I do have Oreos, it's a meal. Visit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah you do. You have that like big old pack of like Oreo big cookie. peanut. Well, peanut yeah. So I'll do, I, I do like. I, I like variety in my sandwich cookies. <laughs> I like JoJo's, honestly, but it's been a long time JoJo's. since I've gotten those. Yeah, JoJo's are like the Trader Joe's version of Oreos. Oh. I mean, Oreos are not even Ore- Oreos is a brand. Well, of course. I mean, I guess they probably invented Oreos, though. Uh, no, actually. Hydrox were the first sandwich-type cookie. And goddamn anyone who wants to fight me on this. <laughs> So the next one by Nan Golden is, Mm. I used to think that I could never lose anyone if I photographed them enough. In fact, my pictures show me how much I've lost. This one's kind of... It's like the first time I read it, I choked up a little bit. Yeah, it's sad. (laughs) It is. It is really sad. I think I like photographs for nostalgic purposes. Sure. I'm a storyteller. I like stories. I like history. I love looking at like old pictures of my family or other people's family, putting it in that context where you're looking at things that you've lost or is not here anymore, I guess, makes it like a little bit sad. When we get to a certain age, pretty much all of our photos are of people who used to be in our lives and aren't for some reason or another, often death. Yeah. And so, yeah, it really is just like a testament to things we've lost. And that's sad. And, and even we get, you know, places that we've been, if we don't photograph people, but places that we've been that, that have changed and are gone forever, or that we may never get to again for, for whatever reason. It really is, photography is just like a long dirge of shit we'll never see again. Probably. So yeah. that's cheery. <laughs> it is. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. This next one by, by Dorothea Lang. The camera is an instrument that teaches people how to see without a camera. What do you think? I love this one. 
being a photographer has opened my eyes in new, amazing ways when it comes to light and shadow and things maybe I didn't really notice before. And it's also kind of a pain because I can't just enjoy the moment. It's like, oh my God, the light is so good right now. Or what I would shoot at or something, you know, it, it it's always related to like, oh, I should have brought a camera <laughs> it is. in my head. Because like, if, if you see something, you are like that, like, oh my God, why didn't I bring my camera? But you're never mm-hmm. like, like, oh, it's like an ugly scene, bad light or whatever. And you're never like, oh, thank fuck I didn't bring my camera along. Yeah, you, weird, You right? never miss it, you know? <laughs> but also it gives you those moments to enjoy it. Just enjoy like being in the moment. On that, perhaps, Imogene Cunningham saying, which of my photographs is my favorite? The one I'm going to take tomorrow. So is that bullshit or? It's kind of like something your mom would say. Not my mom. My mom would just say, stop doing whatever you're doing and be miserable like the rest of us. But I don't, I mean, maybe this is a little bit like that. Like all my photos are horrible. I can't wait till I take another one. I don't think that's what she's saying. But No, I don't think she's saying that, but I think it's just like, you know, that positive attitude that you're just like, well, you know, it's it's tomorrow's photo that's going to be my favorite. You is know, this, like is this toxic positivity? I think so. Okay. All right. <laughs> we, we see you there, Imogene. Okay. And maybe on that, Jim Richardson. If you want to be a better photographer, stand in front of more interesting stuff. <laughs> I've read a little bit of his stuff and he is, he is this sort of snarky... Uh, kind of street photographer, like, eh, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is so much, this is, uh, yeah. I like it though. I, I like I when people it. have like little attitudes like this. It is very kind of like punk rock too. You're just like, oh, well, then fucking stand in front of interesting shit. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. It just or makes maybe sense. you're not, <laughs> maybe I'm not interesting enough <laughs> to take an interesting photo. It's okay. I'm boring. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to one of the bullshit sayings we said at first, which was a picture is worth a thousand words. I got thinking on that today at work. And so I stopped working and I looked up (laughs) the origin of that. Oh. It was made famous and really coined by an ad exec in the 1900s, early 1900s. He was selling ink Mm. and a picture was worth a thousand words, meaning the ink that you use to print a picture saves the ink of a thousand words. I, I mean, he wasn't really saying that, but it was it was just a way to sell ink. It yeah. doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything at all. But I see a lot of the inspirational sayings of, of photographers on Ilford's Wednesday mm, thing. Yes. And they pick some, I think some very poor choices. Well, yes, but also maybe out of context as well. They, they could be out of context, but they don't provide the context, so they're poor choices. And I think mm-hmm. the ones, and I, well, I'd like to do this a little bit more, where we're picking things that maybe are taken out of context, but also make sense and aren't, yeah. aren't bullshit. So yeah. I'd like to do this again. I really enjoyed this. Um, it was nice to hear some inspirational sentences and not just be like angry at them for being bullshit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, was, it was quite nice. If you, listeners, have any inspirational quotes you'd like us to take a look at to feel some inspiration off of and to yeah, share email let us know email, email us email. all through a at gmail or message us on instagram or send a pigeon don't send it or owl k 
Haley Frisky is a color film photographer from New York. On this episode, we're focusing a bit on collaboration. And since Kaylee does just that, we thought we'd have a little talk with her. So, let's call Kaylee. Hey. Hi. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing great. How are you? Good, all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Kaylee. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I kind of, I think we should just get started for people okay. that don't know who you are. Can you tell us and the listeners uh, what your history with photography is and film photography? I uh, started taking pictures kind of in the the MySpace era. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Some might not. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I did like, you know, band pictures, senior portraits, stuff like that. Loved it. Mm-hmm. And then I went to school for photography. I kind of got into like products, stuff like that. Kind of like started to lean away from doing portraiture. By the end of photo school, I kind of hated hated photography. <laughs> it just happens sometimes. So I picked up like a little point and shoot film camera. I was shooting digital with like a Leica. So I bought a point and shoot little like, I think it was called like a something three. I don't know. <laughs> and then I fell in love with photos again because I loved the way that they looked. I liked not knowing what I was doing, you know, for the first time ever, just being like, I don't know, I hope it's cool. So then I started getting like different camera types, a lot of broken cameras. Mm -hmm. uh, And the pictures were really bad for a long time. And I kind of liked it. And I was like, just gradually moved further and further away from that, like bought a working camera. (laughs) switched up the game like didn't buy expired film anymore um and then started doing more portraitures so kind of literally like worked backwards to being doing the same thing I did when I was 14. (laughs) Oh that's really fascinating. What was the what was the camera that kind of changed like brought you back to portraits? The Canada E1 program, actually, a staple, <laughs> old, reliable. I actually just stopped using it like last year, like this time last year. It just, I, I just it just stopped working. Oh. <laughs> but it, <laughs> it was like $10 at like a thrift store. So I was just like, whatever. I, I re- I've really got my money's worth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so what are you shooting now? Um, right now I use a Nikon F5. Okay. Yeah. So I've been doing like a lot more studio stuff. So having like a lot more like versatile options, I guess. And like being able to sync up really easily to like a flash mm-hmm. has been has been great. Sometimes it's like too accurate. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like sometimes it's just like, oh, this is a film picture. And I have to like remind myself of that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of us don't experience actually like doing studio work with film photography. Um, do you kind of trust yourself in your settings or do you like bring a digital camera to help you like set your camera up? Like, how do you do it? When I'm outside, I check once and then I forget usually like I'm like, yeah. I should recheck, but I'm like, ah. but in the studio, anytime I change something, 
it's just the matter of like changing my little adapter, like the trigger, because I shoot both Nikon. So it's just like seamless, pretty mm. easy. But yeah, in person, I don't do that very much. <laughs> You're not the first person we've interviewed who, who like art school and photography school has kind of come really close to ruining photography for them. Yeah, Why is they're that? really good at that. Yeah. How? How do they do this? There's this thing where like, I feel like professors don't want you to get your hopes up. And so they like remind you a lot that it's really hard. And then you're doing it and you're like, it is hard. And then they're like, it gets harder. And you're like, oh, really? Are you sure? Maybe, I don't know. I hope everyone rekindles their love at some point. You shoot and share a lot of your color prints, like color photos, including portraits. Do you prefer color only or do you only just choose to share your color work on social media? Okay. My biggest secret I've I've never shot black and white before. Wait, really? Not film. I've never edited a digital photo to look black and white. I know. I know. That's kind of cool. I don't <laughs> know why. I my brain just like doesn't care. Like it almost just like glides right by it like it's not even happening and uh, a lot of the times when I'm like thinking of things or I'm like, I have an idea. Sometimes I have like the idea of the color palette first. Hmm. And then I think of like what things exist in the world that are those colors. And like, how can I like tie those into each other? So sometimes like that's first. So like with black and white, my brain is just like, nah, I don't know. Yeah. So you're (laughs) like, your creativity comes from color. Like that's where it starts. Anyone's ever taken a walk with me, I will point out that color looks real nice next to that color or like, oh, look, those two things are next to each other. Like, I I love people like that. That's what is so much fun when you get to like, even just walk with another photographer because they'll point stuff out and you'll point stuff out and you're like, oh my God, look at the light right now. Oh my God, look at that shadow. You know, it's like so much fun because someone gets it. Someone understands. (laughs) Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll edit a photo of black and white, see how it feels, test the waters. Ooh. Ooh. You could. <laughs> every fall, actually, I'm like, every fall, I'm like, I'm I'm gonna shoot my first roll of black and white. And then like it just slips by and then and then I'm just like, next year, next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's just what it takes. It's like when you're feeling maybe like not super inspired or it's winter or, or something's happening, you know, you'll just commit like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do that role. I'm, this is what I'm going to do. So when yeah. it comes, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> you guys will be the first to know. Yes, nice. please do. <laughs> There's a quote by a photojournalist named Ted Grant and Ilford posted this on their account maybe a month or so ago. And it created a little kerfluffle. I've heard this before and it was, it didn't sit well with me. I was, I was part of the kerfluffle. (laughs) And I couldn't find the context for this. So this could be out of context. Regardless, he said, when you photograph people in color, you photograph their clothes. But when you photograph people in black and white, you photograph their souls. What what do you think he means by this? (laughs) Um, So he... He was meaning to take a hot take. I think. It was a hot take, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I definitely can't 
I can't agree with this statement. Just one of the biggest things that I learned when I in film school was just like, like you're only going to get what you get back. Like whatever you give is like, what's going to return to you. And you're like, greatest asset your best tool your best medium is just like always the one that you have and like the one that's like available to you so I don't know like if you only have like for instance like color film like I don't think you're gonna bypass someone's entire existence if you're doing the right thing like stepping back and like observing someone I think that's like all really in your own hands, the ability to take a beat and look at someone, look at a situation, observe it, take what you can from it and then like give it back. Mm -hmm. Because I think those are the best photographs that we see um, where you're like, wow, this is like really emotional or this is like really in depth. But I think anything is possible uh, no matter what the format is, like mm-hmm. if you can just watch, pay attention and be present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, if you didn't shoot color, then we wouldn't see like this fabulous couch that either you or your friends own that I've seen in a few of your photos. <laughs> I just had to smell that when I moved and it was oh, really painful. It was oh, no. it was a sad day, but it's living a better life somewhere, hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm not having so many people sit on it, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful couch. The couch can retire. (laughs) Yeah, she's had a hard life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, so you um, shoot a lot of portraits. Do you consider those collaborations? I I think anytime you're even, like, bringing up an idea with someone or as long as someone else is involved, it's a collaboration. And I also, like, really like what I do to be a collaboration. I think you can tell sometimes in portraits when it's so much of like, uh, like the photographer is like very involved. I know what I want from this. And like, you don't let like kind of like the other person tell you what they want. A lot of the people that I take pictures of are super fashionable and they're like great at doing their hair and they just kind of like know what works for them. Mm-hmm. And like listening to that and letting people be like, these socks should be like runched down a little bit. Or, you know, maybe if I flip my hair over my shoulder, it would like be a better line. And I'm always like, absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, walk us through a shoot then. If you're with somebody, you normally shoot people, you know? Um, yeah. A lot of the times I do shoot people that I know. Um, this last year, however, It was a lot more people that I didn't know, kind of like people bring it up to me like, oh, I want to do an engagement shoot Mm -hmm. or I just happen to have a bunch of clothes I really like. Do you want to take my picture in them? Like different stuff like that. I love doing that. It's so fun when people are just like, I'm just doing this for me. Like usually they're pretty open and it's a fun time because you can like ask what their vibe is, what they want, location, and you can really just like plan out anything. Mm-hmm. Well, you have one that really, that, the one that caught my eye, like a lot, was the one you, you called uh, Rituals, where there's two people with cowboy boots in a foggy oh. clearing, I guess? Yeah, it's a hillside. Okay. I found that location on a hike one time. That one was for a, like a queer 
vintage maker. So they take all of these different things that they find at like oh, estate sales, stuff like that, um, bags of pearls, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they make their own jewelry and different things like that. And they really like these like conceptual shoots that incorporate all of their things that they make, um, but kind of like also a mood. Um, and they just kind of like let me run with that. And they were like, we have these pearls, like the one with the hands mm-hmm. and the, the dirt. And they just kind of wanted to show that they were, I don't know, earthy. It was very interesting. They just let me do whatever I wanted with it. But we woke up at like 4 a.m., hit the fog. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, so since you said conceptual, I'm going to go right into this one. Uh, some of your photos, you know, seem planned out how much planning goes into the more conceptual photos a decent amount for instance the one that we were just talking about I had like a fog tracker on my phone I was like looking at it weeks in advance just scheming (laughs) Um, oh wow that's awesome yeah and then with like there's some other photos from that shoot that I haven't posted yet but we had like chairs in the woods we had like all kinds of stuff but I love to like have an idea and then be like okay what but what if I added 10 more things to this idea mm-hmm. <laughs> I like 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 maximalist stuff and then usually I'll show up with multiple ideas in a pretty like laid out structure like I like to make shot lists pose lists um, if I can make like a mood board and send that to the person who's going to be modeling for like poses, stuff like that, mm-hmm. I think it's super helpful um, that everyone's kind of on the same page. Yeah. And I have like a guideline of like, okay, like this is what my vision is. This is how I want to do that. Then once I'm in person and I have all of that like background clutter taken care of, I find that I can relax and really just like take photos. Because mm-hmm. I'm not worried about like, oh, no, I, I I didn't think about this fully. And now there's a big empty space, you know, like there's a, there's an emptiness or there's just like something missing. Because I feel like when I first started doing portraits and photos and planning things, I would have a great idea, but I didn't follow through with it. Like I didn't put myself into the... I'm in person taking this photo. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. I'm getting these photos back. What does what do they look like? Um, I'm editing these photos. What does that look like? I um, mean, I didn't like get to all of those steps mentally. And I just kind of was like, well, I just need to get there and take the picture. And I realized a lot of the times it left me feeling like, like I didn't do the thing that I wanted to do. And so I started planning really in depth because it really kind of sucked to like be like okay I put in all of that work and I didn't get the thing that I wanted um so I'm like I'm a planner I'm also also have a ton of anxiety so I'm like <laughs> a list just whoo <laughs> she sends me <laughs> yeah yep are you there <laughs> all right well I guess we'll let you go and enjoy the rest of your day um, thank you so much for talking with us. It was really, really amazing. Actually. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yep. This has been a blast. It has been. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day, guys. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>
Sweet, nevertheless, the moment when our two heads leaned together over a photograph. Ah, how our hair would meld together indistinguishably. Portrait of one or the other, our two narcissisms drowning there. It was the impossible realized in a magic mirror. The exchange, the superimposition, the fusion of desires, the unity of the image achieved through the close friendship of two bodies, even if they send their souls to the devil. From a letter by Claude Cahoon to Marcel Moore. Claude Cahoon was born October 25, 1894, as Lucy Schwab. Though raised in a wealthy and artistic family, her childhood was plagued by misfortune and abuse. Her mother was institutionalized with a mental illness. Her father wished, for her own suffering's sake, that she had never been born. She was sadistically bullied in school and was prejudiced against because she was Jewish. It was in this state, at the age of 15, when she met Marcel Moore, born two years before Cloud. There was an immediate attraction, and then love, and they would spend the rest of their lives together. But first, they split for schooling. Lucy attained a literature and philosophy degree, while Suzanne attended a school of drawing and design. This education would form the foundation for their artistic pursuits, apart and in collaboration. And this collaboration is why we're talking about Claude Cahoon and Marcel Moore. Absolutely. So, and also... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Well, it's not just that we're doing a biography. We're going to give you a pretty brief overview of their lives and their lives together. Yeah. But just real quick, you guys, Eric is not French. I am not either. So no, neither do we speak <laughs> French. <laughs> so we're going to do our best. <laughs> so be gentle. This will be painfully obvious. Well, we're Americans. I mean, yeah. it's expected. And there's also a concern, especially if you've studied anything with Claude Cahoon, gender and pronouns mm -hmm. in the 1920s. Mm -hmm and 1930s, using the pronoun they for uh, non-binary wasn't a thing. Non-binary wasn't really a common thing or a, a accepted thing. So what little is known about Claude Cahoon is that she always referred to herself as she. And so because of that, we will too. If there was evidence that she referred to herself as they, we would certainly honor that. Well, I think for the most part, uh, so France at the time, there there was like very solid like gender norms and they were artists and they were not about that. No, their their work together was very anti-gender norm. And yeah, Claude mm -hmm. especially played with that. She was incredibly gender fluid. Uh, they didn't mm -hmm. have that language for it. They didn't have that word for it, but that's what she was. But mm -hmm. we will, without offense, hopefully be using the pronoun she for Claude Cahoon. So again, this seems like this was kind of like their first critique on gender roles. What we were kind of explaining as far as like the gender norms, this was kind of like that first look into that. Like most of her portraits, this is seen as a self-portrait, one that was apparently fully envisioned, realized, and photographed by Claude Cahoon, even though she didn't use a timer and there isn't like a long shutter release cable seen in the photo. So these are seen as singular efforts by Claude and Claude alone, which seems to make some sense. I mean, they're entitled self-portraits, apparently. Well, but in archival notes, likely written by Claude, both Claude Cahoon and Marcel Moore are credited. 
The images generally go untitled, meaning that the term self-portrait was not generally used by Cahoon to describe these photos. All of this is true for a number of these portraits throughout their lives together. And much has been made about this collaboration lately. Books and theses have been written focusing upon the artistic union. Its importance lies not so much in the pedantic well actually of their work, but in the identity of both artists. Both Claude and Marcel were artists in their own right. Claude was a writer and worked in the theater. Marcel was an illustrator and graphic designer. Separately, their work was good, important, though photography played very little role in either. It was only, well, I mean, mostly, together, where photography was employed. Cahoon did a bit of work on her own with photography. But still, this is an incredibly strange medium for collaboration of this caliber. Mm -hmm. You remember the, the interview we just did? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Kaylee was talking about how she collaborates with the models. You know, there mm -hmm. is that collaboration where the model is, you know, has input and the photographer mm -hmm. does a lot more than just push the button. <laughs> I, and I can see that, like, if you look at a lot of Claude's photos, you could tell that she was going for something very particular. I mean, odd for the most part and unique and artistic. And Marcel was all about it was like, all right, we'll, let's well, do this. Thing. We, we don't, <laughs> there's been a lot of arguments about how much Marcel Moore took part in this. The arguments that are made, I don't feel are very strong arguments. They're almost from a point of, I don't want that to be true. So I'm going to say it's not, mm -hmm. but it can't be denied that Claude Cahoon's work, the ones that are titled self-portraits that Marcel Moore had a lot to do with, uh, mm -hmm. there was a lot going on. <laughs> and I think- <laughs> I think Claude Cahoon was probably a, a large driving force for the for the photographs. We picked six entitled self-portraits. Mm -hmm. uh, real quickly, one of her standing against a stone wall, one of her standing with a shaved head, both with a shaved head, bare shoulders against a black background pinned to a wall. <laughs> and there's I love that one, one of her <laughs> holding a silver ball. It's entitled self-portrait. You can, you can literally see Marcel Moore taking the photo in it. Mm -hmm. So it, that one kind of bugs me because it's it's like, well, yeah, I can see somebody else taking the photo and without any reason, I'm just going to say that person just wasn't involved at all. Mm -hmm. There's another photo of her seemingly on a bed with her hair spread out with a white box around her, uh, crop markings. So this one's interesting because it does, there's like a banister in the background. It It is a very odd photo. And I, I can't understand. Like, how, I don't know, yeah, what's, I don't know happening, what's happening there. But Supposedly, this photo was taken before the one with the sailor outfit. It is. It, it was. And I don't see a lot of comments on that. It's one of my mm. favorite photos of her, but it, there isn't, yeah, there isn't much on it. It's when she still had very long hair, mm -hmm. but again, not much, not much on it. She was a bit of an eccentric and it looks like maybe she was sick or ill. Uh, she was ill she a was lot. Ill she would lot, stop yeah. eating for long periods yeah. of time sometimes. The the next one is probably her most famous one, which is the Don't mm -hmm. Kiss Me, I'm in Training shirt with the paste on nipples. I love it. And the hearts mm -hmm. on her cheeks and with the dumbbells. This is, it's hard to see in this, but she's she's made up as a, like a weightlifter from the mm -hmm. 1920s. Again, obviously playing with a lot of gender role here. Yes. We'll get to all of these. And there's a final one oh, with her. It, it's is she wearing a mask? I think so. It's terrifying. It's a very terrifying photo. <laughs> well, and her cape is full of it masks is. as yeah. well. So, I mean, there's definitely... 
some play in in this one. Yeah. Now, a lot of these photographs were taken in the 1920s and some in the 1930s, and all of them, mm -hmm. for the most part, will be coming back a little bit later. So stay tuned. Claude and Marcel also collaborated in much easier ways. In 1919, they published Vous et Vision. Claude provided the writing with Marcel contributing the illustrations. The text and artwork rely upon each other. One would seem diminished, if not pointless, without the counterpart. A few years later, they produced, but did not publish, another volume called Heroines, which examined the feminism in fairy tales, basically saying, it's always been there, you just have to know where to find it. But it, it they're, they're French surrealists, so it kind of was and kind of wasn't. Once again, the collaboration saw both their contributions amplified and bettered by the others. I mean, this, this could be dismissed simply as author and illustrator, but I don't think so. They really seemed no. to work well, hand in hand here with this. Okay, uh, they vacation together and basically at one point in their lives live together as sisters with their family because of relationship situations <laughs> with their parents, basically. There's some good books out there of a full biography. It's it's messed up. Yes. But yes. It is. But also like things kind of worked out for them in like really good ways. So they were able to kind of hide their relationship uh, from the world. If you're, you're spending, okay, you know, they don't got Netflix. They don't have Netflix and chill. They're like, they're- French, French surrealist and chill? Yeah. They're like, they're hanging out and- Paris and they're talking to artists and they're spending time together and collaborating and and doing these like I mean the illustrations in this book is like you guys definitely yeah it's pen it, and ink it's very very contrasty it's not very 20s. it's very 1920s a lot of Art Deco feel to it it's mm -hmm. they're out there if you can if you can find them really worth it heroines is not though it it may be somewhat. It may be in an, an online archive. Claude and Marcel's first collaboration was with photography. They would return to print in a decade or so. But through the 1920s and early 30s, it was photography that saw them entwine their talents together. It was through the photography that they examined their ideas of gender and sexuality. For this, they mostly used Claude. Maybe we could see her as the model, obviously, and the mind, probably, behind the photos, while Marcel was the heart not just the person pushing the button. In some cases, they would swap places for nearly identical shots. The most obvious of this type was the pair taken in 1929. Two photos, one taken by Marcel of Claude in front of a mirror, and the other taken by Claude of Marcel in front of the same mirror. In the photo of Claude, she is staring at the camera, at Marcel, who is taking the picture, lightly clutching her checkered jacket. In the photo of Marcel, she was peering into the mirror, but seeing the reflection of Claude behind the camera. Essentially, the true Claude is staring at Marcel, while the mirror image of Marcel is staring at Claude. I really like it. It's very beautiful. The picture of Claude is, is probably the more famous of the two. It's a real, very popular. But seeing them together mm -hmm. and seeing how they're both interacting with the mirror in a different way. And again, mm -hmm. we don't know whose mind was behind this. There isn't that information. It's not there anymore. The photo mm -hmm. is credited. Both photos are credited to both of them. The photo of Claude is often mislabeled as a self-portrait, with the photo of Marcel credited to Claude, but calling this a self-portrait not only erases any possibility of collaboration, but erases Marcel from anything but a model with no input of her own. I guess that kind of brings up a, a, a good question of what is a self-portrait? 
which should be an easy question. And I thought it was, <laughs> but now after seeing how most of her photos with Marcel are labeled self-portraits, I'm not so sure. I think that a self-portrait means a lot of different things for different people. To me, a self-portrait is a portrait that you took by yourself in some way without any help of anybody else. No, I think we've seen like, well, Kate, uh, maybe the, the patron yes. saint of the podcast at this point, uh, <laughs> yes. her, her photography is, it's very self-portrait. Some of her self-portraits are very self-portrait. She is alone with the camera and it's a long exposure so she can run in front of the lens or so, I guess sometimes she uses a long shutter release. Also, Liz Potter does the same thing. She is alone. Mm -hmm. There is nobody else in those photos, nobody else at the camera. They're so beautiful. Yeah, and all of those, I would call those just true self-portraits because there's nobody else in there. So- when does a self-portrait become a portrait? Because if you go to a studio and say, you sit down and you're like, I wanna do this, I'm gonna wear this, I wanna pose this way, I wanna look this way. And you're, I guess, fine-tuned enough to know how to do all of that. Does the photographer become almost an essential, just a button pusher? Mm. I, I mean, honestly, I feel like that's kind of just rude. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, and I would definitely give credit to the photographer uh, for just pushing the button because it's more than that. And as photographers, we know that because we kind of feed off each other. Like if you photograph people, you you know, most of the time you, you're having conversations with them. You're, they're talking, they're giving you some input on what they like. And then you're, you know, like, okay, you know what? I like that. Let's do that. And then, you know, you're following along, but also being able to guide them as yeah. well. We talked to Kate earlier this week and asked her to give a little bit of a peek behind the scenes on not how she shoots herself portraits, but how she shoots models, like an actual model, like a professional model, which she recently Ooh, like did. Like you, you were a professional I model. I was once. absolutely not. So <laughs> Yes, you were. <laughs> this is, no, it's not true. This is Kate. Hey guys, this is Kate Miller-Wilson. So Eric was asking me about my experience shooting a model a couple of weeks ago and what that dynamic was like. I imagine it's different for everyone. And I've really only shot two professional models. I often shoot people I know really well, my kids or family or other photographer friends. But shooting a professional model does feel different. Catelyn, the model I worked with a couple of weeks ago, had a lot of input in the shots. I'm not a super posy photographer in general. I don't tell people how to arrange their faces or bodies other than to make sure the light is on them the way I want. So Catelyn did all of the posing. I might say, could you maybe stick your hands out the window? Then Catelyn would try different hand poses. Here's a really good example of the whole collaboration thing. I had this long piece of white chiffon and I asked Catelyn to drape it over one shoulder. I was going for this sort of pictorialist vibe. I always am, but it really just looked boring. I took a photo anyway, which I ended up not liking all that well. I didn't even say anything about not liking it and was just trying to think what I was going for. Catelyn was already thinking about different options and was like, what if we throw the fabric up into that tree? So we did that. Then Catelyn wrapped herself in it in all these different ways that were super interesting and beautiful and weird. I had mentioned I was interested in the concept of anonymity in the photos. So Catelyn did a bunch where the fabric was over their face. All I really did was arrange the fabric a little and adjust my composition and camera movements to get the shots I saw there. It was very much a collaboration. And honestly, Catelyn may deserve more credit for the final images than I do. That's exactly how I feel their relationship was. I, I I get that feeling, yeah, that Marcel had 
a bit more to do with it than mm-hmm. she's often credited for. And I think the the little excerpt from the letter that we read, I think there's more, I think you can get a lot from that. And yeah, this is all going to be speculation because mm-hmm. there isn't a record. In 1930, they published a book titled Avowals, Not Avowed, also known as Disavowals. Once again, Claude provides the words, but this time Marcel created photo montages, basically collages, made mostly of photos that Claude and Marcel produced together. Told you they would come back. The text (laughs) is made up of Claude's journal entries and letters, as well as various essays, some fictional, some autobiographical. In these, the identity of the author of Claude is obscured. Sometimes she's male, sometimes she's female. It's kind of the, the peak of her gender fluidity. The photo montages illustrate this weird space between fact and fiction. And I think, I mean, obviously, Claude had a lot of input in these. There are photos of her, but these are very Marcel. And so here I feel is where the real collaboration is. I believe there was a lot of collaboration in the photographs. But I, I mean, mm-hmm. this was obviously such a, an intense collaboration with the photo montages. They explore the idea of shadows and the gray lines between male and female. If you're at all familiar with the self-portraits of Claude, you'll see them and variations of them in Marcel's photo montages. Once again, the book would not be the same without this collaboration. The text and photo montages hold their own, on their own, but together they form the book as a separate piece, which really reminds me (laughs) of (laughs) the 6x7 scene that we did last year. It's very much that too. Like their photo montage reminds me of our crazy backgrounds and the weirdness that we put around. It was so much fun to just experiment and make something different. It was, it was neat to take your photos and my photos on on opposite pages and create a spread using both of them and a bunch of extra Mm -hmm. shit that we found along the way. Yeah, well, I mean, we just started the podcast And I think we subscribed to newspapers.com and that was like, we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. It was, it was just so much there that we could, we could steal for. Yes. We found so many ads, so many cool stuff. Yeah. I don't know if I even mentioned this about six by seven, but there was a shot that I took in Crescent City, um, it actually used to be called Pecker's Knob, oh, but God. they don't call that anymore. Is, is it Gobbler's Knob now? <laughs> no, okay. it's not. But it's basically like the overview of Crescent City, and it shows the the, the Crescent Bay oh, and sure. all that. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful shot. And then we found some newspaper ads of when the tsunami came in in like the 50s or 60s, and we kind of pasted that onto that spread. Yeah. So if you actually look really close, a lot of the things are... Well, yeah, there's a lot of interaction from both of us, from our histories, from our photography. Mm -hmm. You know, I would do a bit of it. I would show it to you. You'd suggest some stuff. We'd redo it. It just became a, it was the first time I really collaborated like that. Mm -hmm. I I miss working like that. It was. It was a lot of fun. And we only got one returned. Did we even mention, I don't think we mentioned that. I don't think we have. (laughs) Someone sent their book back. We did. Because they didn't it like did not. it, which is crazy to me. Because it's like you spent this money, just give it to somebody. Like someone, like he did, he couldn't find anybody to give this book to. He said it was more of a, like a comic book than a photo book. <laughs> which, I mean, I'm a big comic fan, so thanks. In 1937, Claude and Marcel moved to the Isle of Jersey, off the coast of France. 
They referred to themselves as sisters and went by their old names, Lucy and Suzanne. At the start of World War II, many of the island fled to England. Lucy and Suzanne, or Claude and Marcel, stayed. When the Nazis took over the island, they required the residents to register their radios, their cameras, and to notify them if they were Jewish, like Claude, and or spoke German, like Marcel. Claude and Marcel did none of that. Instead, they began their final collaboration, a soldier without a name, mostly leaflets in German, but also in various other languages. These were distributed secretly, sometimes as litter, sometimes stuck to barbed wire fences, sometimes brazenly mailed to Nazi officers. The leaflets were written from the point of view of a Nazi soldier reconsidering his duty to the fatherland. The feel was almost lighthearted, but not quite satire. Honestly, the Nazi officers didn't quite know what to make of it. While Marcel spoke German, she was not perfect in her grammar and she made a telling mistake in one of her leaflets. This caused the Germans to believe that the writer was not a Nazi soldier, but one of the island's residents. They were unable to pin the tracks on Claude and Marcel until they found one of the leaflets in a bag in their home. They were both arrested in spring of 1944. Their plan had been to commit suicide by taking barbiturate pills if they were arrested. They always carried these pills with them when they distributed the pamphlets. In Nazi custody, they were separated and both attempted suicide a number of times. These many attempts ultimately saved their lives. Their trial was continually pushed back with each attempt. When it finally came time, they were sentenced to death. But before their punishment, the island was liberated and they were free from prison in May of 1945, a year after their arrest. They returned to their home to find all of their artwork destroyed. In fact, everything they owned was destroyed. Even the copper wires removed from the house, which is why we, we have like none of their work, really. Everything that we have is essentially the published work. Claude and Marcel rebuilt their lives, remaining on the island for the rest of their days. Claude died in 1954 at the age of 60, and Marcel, by suicide, in 1972, at the age of 79. Their work was nearly forgotten and often assumed to be that of a man's. Claude Cahoon was rediscovered in the 1990s, and since then, much of her work has been re-examined and republished. It is only somewhat recently the collaboration with her lifelong romantic partner, her wife, for a lack of any better word, was also re-examined. We see this collaboration as not only obvious, but inspiring. Essentially, the identity of Claude Cahoon has as much to do with Marcel Moore as it does with Claude Cahoon. The young Lucy Schwab became Claude Cahoon through her own writing, but it was Marcel's photos that brought Claude to life. Collaborating on things like zines like we did, or like photo montages like Claude and, and, and Marcel did, I guess is, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say is easy, but I think collaborating with photography is an incredibly difficult thing. Mm-hmm. It can be. I guess if you have one person that's the model and the other person is the photographer and you exchange ideas like Kate described, I think there's a good mm-hmm. a good way to, to collaborate. I would like to do more of that, but I don't shoot people. <laughs> With Kate, you know, she made it clear that she does shoot a lot of her photos her family members. Sure. So she's probably more comfortable with those people, but also very comfortable behind the camera. And a professional model is obviously <laughs> professional at being in front of the camera. So kind of tapping into those things that two people are really good at to make a wonderful image sounds perfect. Sounds great. We shoot together sometimes, like in person when mm-hmm. we're together. And I think yeah. we collaborate a bit on that. A little bit. 
you know, we'll, we'll give each other hints or I'll watch you shoot something and I'll, I'll shoot it roughly the same way because I trust your eye more than mine. I do steal your ideas. (laughs) I think it'd be fun to collaborate on a role next time we're together and shoot it and, you know, really talk, talk it through, talk through the whole process together. And, and I think so. I think we both have strong opinions, but also are very open to the ideas that we give each yeah, other. Yeah, I think we're both very influenced by each other, even though we shoot incredibly different things. And of course, the obviously the podcast. Yeah, our main collaboration is the podcast. <laughs> I think that's, that's very obvious. <laughs> what I bring to the table, I am not sure, but here I am. I'm, I'm, I, I disagree, though I am very glad you're at the table. With my elbows on oh, it. Oh, my elbows are always on the table. I do encourage people to collaborate. I mean, try it, you know? And if we do collaborate, give each other credit too. I think with zines, I think we could we could most easily do that. And just make sure you get their names right. <laughs> that is very important. Finding much in English about Claude Cahoon and Marcel Moore is kind of difficult. There's not a lot that's available right now. There are two books that we used mostly. One is called... Exist Otherwise, The Life and Works of Claude Cahoon by Jennifer Shaw. And Jennifer does go into the collaboration quite a bit. The other one is Don't Kiss Me, The Art of Claude Cahoon and Marcel Moore, which very much focuses on their collaboration. However, it does include an essay arguing that there was no collaboration. Collaborations don't work. They don't work. They don't work. Collaborations don't work. They don't work, they don't work, collaborations don't work. They don't work, they don't work. I'm gonna do it all by myself. I'm gonna do it all by myself. In our last segment about Marcel Moore and Claude Cahoon, we encouraged people to write zines together, make zines together, produce them together. But, you know, even if you aren't doing it with another person, produce your own zines. If you can't do it together, do it yourself. And make some zines because we we really uh, we really enjoy zines. Did, did I say zines enough yet? I, th- I, I think, think so. I did. So we've got two to review here. We review them. What do you have, Vanya? I have this zine right in front of me. I'm really excited. I just got it today. So okay, very what happy. What is it? It is NSEW issue number four, fall 2021. Um, it is north, south, east, west, and it's. Basically highlighting four photographers from different regions in the United States. The people behind this lovely zine is Kent Chamnus. He's the principal and layout and content editor. And Chris Shoemaker is the copy editor. I don't want to give too much away, but I really think you have to see for yourself. And also, super teeny tiny top secret... I'm in it. <laughs> you are. You are. I am. I'm like, this is terrible. I'm reviewing a zine that I'm in. This is awful. So that's why I'm not, I'm trying not to review it. You guys have to look for yourself. I feel absolutely honored to be a part of it. Uh, also, I printed next to Jason Beener, Caleb Starr, and Sonia Langford. And there's just like, it's so good. It's so good. Also, it's, it's huge. Yeah, it's a big zine. And it's zine. eight bucks. Eight? It's eight dollars. Amazing. Oh, and also on top of that. So after everything's paid for, all of the profits are actually, they go to different charities. So this issue goes to Youth on Their Own, 
or you can look more information at yoto.org or yoto.org. <laughs> Youth on Their Own supports the high school graduation and continued success of youth experiencing homelessness in Pima County, Arizona, where Kent lives. So not only do you get this like wonderful zine with a ton of really good questions and answers from people, um, every single artist in there, but also you're like helping a really good cause too. So I would love for this to sell out. <laughs> so go check it out. N-S-E-W-Mag.com slash store. And we'll have a link in our show notes. What do you got? I have a zine called My Only Homeland by Jessica Fuentes. So in our last episode, I mentioned something about the lines framing what is and isn't a photo zine are kind of blurring more and more and how I love that. And in this zine, and I, I suppose it's a zine, it's what she calls it. She describes it as an unfoldable zine. And I like how that could be a double entendre there. That it chronicles a trip she took with her daughter across the United States. The zine opens up, the cover it sort of wraps around the zine and you open it like one of those old tablets you have in, in school. And each page contains three or four photos on top of each other, you know, stacked long ways on top of each other, but some are hidden and only discoverable if you unfold or really stretch out the page. They're all folded very neatly together. Mm, each yeah. page can be looked at folded up or unfolded. And in each way it reveals a different look, a different composition. The whole thing, it's an engineering masterpiece. I was- It is. I don't know how the hell she, like, know. honestly. <laughs> she must be so amazing at folding maps. Seriously. <laughs> so I'm going to read uh, a bit of the blurb on the back, just to kind of give you an idea of what you're in for here. And she says, when I first began to travel with my daughter, it was in defiance of those who told me that as a mother, my life would not be my own anymore. Though more and more, I am seeing our travels as a political act. We travel throughout the United States because this is our home, because this land holds the stories of our past, present, and future. The act of traveling to and experiencing different parts of America instills in us both a sense of familiarity with and belonging to a land where too often we are viewed as outsiders. This incredibly important zine, uh, it's available for $15, and we will put our link in the show notes. It is something you really do need to own. All Through a Lens is brought to you by our lovely Patreon subscribers. Patreon helps us pay for hosting, books, our newspaper.com account for research, audio equipment, and much, much more. We'd like to thank our subscribers for their support. We couldn't do it without you. If you like bonus episodes, full-length interviews, and extra nonsense, you can become a Patreon subscriber. We've got three different levels of support, with the cheapest being less than a buck an episode. Head on over to patreon.com slash allthroughalens for more information. Well, I guess we're kind of wrapping it up here. Mm -hmm. What does the next week look like for you, film photographically speaking? Oh, well, I'll be developing some of my four by five sheets that I took this past weekend. <laughs> and I still have tons of film to develop from July. Yeah, same. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been waiting for a C41 kit to show up and I think it showed up today. So 
Yay! So I will be developing some more. Oh, and speaking of developing Dev Party next week, what's that? It's true. It doesn't really matter what I'm doing next week. So the next Dev Party. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry. Okay, what are you doing? <laughs> are you going to Eastern Washington again? No, I was hoping to. Uh, I don't think I'm going to this weekend. Maybe next you're kind of pushing it. I know it's going to get cold and rainy it soon. It does get cold and rainy in the fall there. Not really rainy, I guess, but cold and snowy in the passes. And I do not like snow in the passes. Our next dev party is about Lone Pine, which is the last time Ooh. we shot together. We will be developing film that we shot at Lone Pine. Uh, I think you still have some from then, don't you? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> You're shrugging your shoulders, which is great for an audio podcast. <laughs> I will at least be talking about our experience there and why it almost didn't happen and how it did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to All Through a Lens. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail.com. And we're all through a lens on Twitter. You can also check out our show notes on allthroughalens.com. Vanya is at Sarkarshan. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Both on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff. Hashtag all through lens podcast. Do we feature? We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode, so check those out and see what we're listening to. Just search all through a lens. Also, totally don't mind if you guys want to comment on how bad or good it is. Yeah, we'd like some feedback on that, maybe. Check that out. <laughs> you can also find our episodes on Spotify, as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you have your podcasts. Subscribe and give us a review. It helps. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so, so much for listening. We love you. See you next week at Dev Party. Oh, Vanya. Yes? Do you, um, do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. Like, they're the weirdest, it's like a high bugler-like sound almost. Okay. I don't know. I can't. Try it again. <laughs> okay. I don't need to add the elk sound now. Fuck you. <laughs> Shut up. All right. Okay. <laughs>